0: Open your Bible to 2 John with me, if you would. 2 John, we've been in it for a few weeks now. Um, it's only 13 verses long, so I don't expect it will be here much longer. Next Sunday, of course, we'll have uh, Resurrection Sunday services, both the uh, service in the parking lot at 9 o'clock. Uh, try to come out, we'll send some out some announcements, but try to get here by uh 845. and the reason for that is we have to park all of those cars in the right place you can't just pull into a parking space we need to park you specifically we've worked it out already how we're going to park you there will be people there'll be cones it'll all be you'll be guided through the process you'll be safe we'll be safe we'll be able to spend some time together but we'll also have our live stream at 11 o'clock. There'll be no Sunday school hour next week because of the fact that we'll have the quote-unquote sunrise service in the parking lot at 9. But then we will have the live stream at 11 just like we're doing right now. We'll have special music, maybe even some live special music. Amelia is supposed to be doing the special next week. Maybe we'll get her to come in and sit at the piano. We can do that as long as we only have the people that are necessary in the building because we don't have that many people in the building. So we have a couple people and we can certainly spread out so that we're not around each other and we'll do that so that you can be safe. Okay, John, 2 John. Uh, We've been in it for a little while. Um, I was thinking about this. 2 John is in the part of your Bible. If you just keep your hand here and just go back a few pages, it's not very far before you get to the book of Hebrews. And uh, I'm not going to take a long time to go through all of this, but for some of you, it's probably good right now to be reminded that what we're looking at in 2 John is a section of your Bible that is often called the general epistles. In other words, it was written to the public at large. But most of us have come to realize, even been taught, that what we're looking at are the reality epistles. And so what what I mean by that is this. What do you really have? What do you really have? In what we're seeing here in 2 John, God is making promise of what the normal Christian life is meant to be. But the foundation... The root of the normal Christian life is in Hebrews. All of the pictures, all of the images, all of the types of Christ in the Old Testament were important because they were pointing to the Christ that was coming. But in in the Sunday school class that John just did, which if you're not watching the Sunday school class, you should be watching the Sunday school class. In fact, I find that the Sunday school class, by God's providence, almost every week prepares for the, for the morning service. There's so many things that John made reference to this morning that if you heard those, your heart will be better prepared for the message that I'm getting ready to preach right now. Hebrews makes it very clear that it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ as a person, the true living Christ. It's not about the types. It's not about the images in the Old Testament. They were all significant, but their only significance is that they pointed to the one who is the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Christ. And then all of the book of Hebrews is that Christ is better because Christ is the reality of all of the things we see pictured in our Old Testament. And, and we see at the end of the book of Hebrews, and I'm just going to read this, it starts in verse 20 of chapter 13, now the God of peace, that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So what you see here at the end of Hebrews is the reality of our Lord Jesus Christ as our individual great high priest is meant to change your life forever. That's what we see in the book of Hebrews. What we see is a great high priest pouring out a whole new quality of life through the Holy Spirit into your heart, into your mind, into your life. What a tremendous truth this is. When you turn the page and get the Hebrew, excuse me, the book of James, what God says is now that whole new quality of life, I want it in your everyday life. That whole new quality of life is available to you in every aspect of every day. Monday should not be different than Sunday. Sunday we come and typically we come and we assemble and we're around each other and it's encouraging and it's a blessing. And then we get up Monday morning and we have the quote unquote real week that we have to face. Well, the real week that, that we have to face is this what God wants for us in our lives. And he wants us to know that the Lord Jesus Christ, that God is working in you all week long by his power. I'm not going to go through every single one of these books. There is a central message, a, an escalating promise, if you would, after God tells us in the book of James... In your everyday life, I want you to have this whole new quality of life. Starting in 1 Peter, he starts talking about specific details about how that's going to work out. And that brings us, ultimately, to the study that we're in right now. Now, we're going to look at 3 John after this, and then we're going to look at Jude. And so you will be able to see what it is that God means by you having this whole new quality of life, by Christ pouring out a whole new quality of life through the Holy Spirit in your everyday life and the specific details, one book at a time, and it's tremendous. It's truly wonderful when you realize how great the normal Christian life that God intends for you to have is. And we're seeing that now in Second John. Now, in Second John, there's a simple outline. I'm going to give you the simple outline because we're going to get to every part of it this week except for the very end. In verses 1 through 4, the simple outline is truth and love. In verses 5 and 6, it's commandment and love. In verses 7 through 11, it's doctrine and deceivers. And then in verses 12 and 13, it's trust and joy. And we'll see these things together today. Uh, really we're going to be looking toward the end of verses seven through 11, doctrine and deceivers, because that's where we are in the study. We've already looked at verses one through four ex- exclusively and extensively, and then verses five and six. and we began looking at seven through eleven last week. I do want to give a little bit of rehearsal because I do want you to see it in its context uh, together this morning. Go to verses one through four and I'm going to read it. The elder unto the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth. And not only I, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you. Mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I greatly rejoiced that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. What I want you to recognize is, as we're looking at this passage, I want you to notice how the truth and the love are so prominent in what we're looking at. Truth and love go together. I don't know how to say this well. I really don't know how to say this well. When I was a baby Christian, love was the most important part of Christianity to me. As I began to mature, somehow I think I thought that truth was more important than love. And truth is vitally important. But if I have real truth, it will cause me to have the love that God wants me to have. In other words, and we're going to see this, we're going to look at this again this morning, if I don't have love, I do not have the truth. You can fight and argue and fuss and prove your quote-unquote point from your Bible. The Pharisees were great at it. But what they didn't have was love. And if you're really a new creature, then the thing that gives you the greatest joy is how great the Lord Jesus himself is. And you will become overwhelmed with his love. And it will cause you to be conformed to his image. And you yourself will become a child of love. One rejoicing and resting and entering into his love for you and realizing that because of that, you will find yourself loving all of those around you and wanting to help them and meet the needs of their hearts and lives. If you turn to Ephesians just for a moment, Ephesians chapter 5, just turn there with me if you would. I just want to show you one passage, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 2. I'm going to read verses uh, 2 through 8. Notice what it says here. And walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Now notice what he's done. Christ has sacrificed himself. He has offered himself to us, to God on our behalf. What God wants in our lives, um, you cannot really love someone just by saying you love them. Because love is an action. If there are no actions in your life that demonstrate love, then you're not really being honest when you say that you love. And and we'll see this uh, again this morning. So walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. Wow, what a high calling. I'm to walk in love as Christ loved and hath given himself. Notice the giving. Walk in love like Christ, giving, sacrificing to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But this is what shouldn't be in our life. Fornication and uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you, has become as saints. Neither filthiness, For ye sometimes were darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. What I want you to notice is that it says walk in love, and that love includes the truth of a clean, holy life. Your life should be clean and holy. My life should be clean and holy. Not so that I can have a relationship with God, but because I do have a relationship with God. And and if I don't have love, it doesn't matter that I'm doing this right and this right and this right. So many, so many, maybe even genuine Christians who have never really matured like they were supposed to still think that the goal is to do everything right and to look down on people that aren't doing those things right. That isn't the goal. The goal, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and a good conscience and faith unfeigned as we've learned from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. That is the goal. And yet, if you have that, there will be a cleanliness in your life, a selfless Clean walk with God where you will really demonstrate God's power to make you into the loving vessel that He wants you to be. What I'd like to do is I'd like to contrast the difference between what He saw in her children and what many people think is what God wants. And it's interesting because John, James, used this passage, uh, one of these passages this morning in our Sunday school class. Turn to Luke with me. Luke chapter 18. Turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. It's funny because there's no turning of pages, really, just a couple pages being turned here. Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. And normally I can listen and tell when the turning of pages uh, slows down, so I know when most people are there. So I'm just going to have to hope that you're there now. And he spake, the Lord Jesus, and he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a publican, the other, excuse me, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. This is really significant, by the way. Prayed thus with himself. He would tell you that he was praying to God, but God would tell you that he was praying to himself because God was not hearing him. God, I thank thee. He says, God, I thank thee, but God is not listening because he's an arrogant man. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican who was there next to him. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house, rather justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbled himself shall be exalted. Now I want you to notice, we all recognize this passage, but oh how important it is in our life as a Christian to recognize that if there's any good in my life at all, I didn't do it. I have never done anything good in my own strength. Anything good that I have or anything good that I've done, it's been Christ doing it in me and through me. And I thank God that this is true, but there's nothing to boast or brag about then. Now, I want you to look at another passage. Go to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. Please, Proverbs chapter 6. When you get there, look at verse 16. Proverbs chapter 6. I don't know why this stood out to me again this morning as I was going it's not in my notes, that's why it took me a second to find it myself. It's not in my notes. Uh, but it came to my heart this morning as I was going over these things, the difference between uh, the truth and love. The truth is important. The truth is important. But notice what God hates. sixteen. These things these, these six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Now what I want you to notice is, this is a pretty ugly list. But number one is a proud look. Number seven, by the way, is he that soweth discord among the brethren, which follows a false witness that speaketh lies. And what I've come to realize is this, whenever we feel superior to others, one, we're guilty of a proud look. Two, we're willing to talk to others in such a way as to get votes for what we think we're better than others about. And what we do when we do that is we have to misrepresent others in order to make ourselves look good, and so we're lying. And then we're also sowing seeds of discord among the brethren because what we're trying to do is to get people on, quote-unquote, our side in this. But once you realize this, in me, that is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. Nobody should ever be on my side. Nobody should ever be on my side. They should be on Jesus' side. I should be on Jesus' side. And if I'm really on Jesus' side, I cannot be against you ever. I cannot be against you and on Jesus' side because Jesus is not against you. He is for you. He wants to help you. He wants to meet the need of your heart and mind and life. And that being true, this is what the apostle rejoices in when he sees her children walking in the truth. And that truth is the love that's going to be represented again in verses 5 and 6. The love that matters is the love that causes us to walk toward each other, in the way that isn't arrogant or proud or thinks high of itself. And I don't have time to do it this morning. Uh, the other passage that came to my mind is 1 Corinthians 13. We've already looked at it. I do want you to go to 1 Corinthians 13, though. I'm going to turn there right now. I'm not going to, we're not going to study it, but I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 13. I want you to mark this in your mind and come back to it later. I want you to look at this every single day and say, is this really what I have? This is the love that God wants us to have. All of the giftedness. Chapters 12 and 14 are talking fully about the giftedness of service. Being able to be gifted by God for service. What that meant then, what it means now, what God is capable of doing in our hearts as he gives gifts to men so that we can minister to each other. And yet the point that he's going to make is this, no matter how gifted you are, if you don't have 1 Corinthians 13 love, your giftedness is of no value to anybody, not even to you. And God wants us to understand that. So now with that in mind, turn back to 2 John. Second John chapter uh, 1, well, it's only one chapter, verse 4, I greatly, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we are received a commandment from the Father. Now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which ye have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment, that that as ye heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. Now here's, this is the wonderful truth. The gospel is actually simple. The gospel is really simple. The gospel unto salvation is simple. The gospel unto sanctification is simple. The gospel unto God making you what he would have you to be is simple. Humble yourself and trust God. That's it. His commandment, let him be the one that decides in your life what you need, always. This goes very much with what God was talking about in Isaiah's life in chapter 6. All Isaiah had to say was this, Woe is me, woe is me. You're holy, I'm not holy. God said, It's okay, I can make you holy. I can touch you and make you holy. From with the coals from off the altar, the, the whole burnt offering that is our Lord Jesus Christ, because of what Christ has done, you too can be holy. And then he'll say, Now who's gonna go? Who's gonna go and minister? And you'll say, Well, I can go. You've made me holy, I can go. But the woe is me is necessary if you're going to be a minister. It's always going to be necessary. Not woe is me at the beginning of ministry. Woe is me every single day. Woe is me, but great is Jesus. I am not, but he is. If you think that you are improving in yourself and of yourself, and therefore you are worthy to talk to people because of something that's happened in your life, you're not worthy. Jesus is worthy. He is worthy that they should hear about Him in your life. But there's nothing to exalt ourselves about. What you see here clearly is there's not a new commandment. It's the same thing that God always wanted. The only reason there were so many commandments in the Old Testament is because God said, love each other, and they said no we will be selfish. He said, then we're going to make some rules. If you're going to be selfish, then there are going to be punishment for being selfish because it's not what I want for you. But if they, we simply will say, I want to love everyone. I want to help everyone. God says, that's all I ever wanted for any of you. And I will work that in you. I will accomplish that in your heart. And what a tremendous blessing that is. Now that brings us to where we were last week, and that is doctrine and deceivers. And here's where and here's this is so important in the age in which we're living right now. For many deceivers are entered for because you need to know all of these things that I just told you about walking in love and walking according to the truth, walking according to the word of God, letting him be the one that leads you. Um you know John made a great deal this morning out of it doesn't matter how you feel, it doesn't matter what your experiences are. What matters is what does the word of God say? What does the Word of God say? What would God have you to do in this situation? And the answer for what God would have you to do in this situation is not found in a pizza-induced dream. It's found in the Word of God. Open your Bible daily. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And you'll know he will communicate to you in your heart, in your soul. You will know what it means to love, what it means to walk with him, what it means that you should live the life that he wants you to live. And it matters that you let him talk to you, because if you don't, you're going to be deceived. That's what happens starting in verse 7. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver, an antichrist. Look to yourselves. Not just you look to you. You look to me. Me look to you. Guard each other. Watch out for each other because there are deceivers that would hurt us. Right now, many of you are stuck in your houses. Right now, if you're spending any time at all in the Word of God, praise the Lord. If you're substituting that for listening to a bunch of sermons or or that kind of a thing, be careful Because so much of what you might, you would never let a false teacher walk into your door and deceive you. But through the through your uh, television, or through your radio, or through the internet, or through your phone, you can let people come in and teach you things that aren't true. Don't let that happen. Be careful about who you let into your house, if you understand what I'm saying. That's what this is going to tell us. That's what we're going to look at specifically today. There are many deceivers. So look to yourself because God doesn't want you and I to be bothered or to lose reward or to be put off track temporarily by the deceivers. Now again, John did a wonderful job in the Sunday school class this morning pointing this out. If you're really of God, if you're really a born again, you don't hear the the deceivers, you're not going to hear their voice for long. You'll hear them they may cause you to lose reward because you may stumble and, and follow them for a moment, but you won't live the rest of your life as a cult member or often some weird thing or wandering away from the gospel. You won't because you're a new creature. You've been born again. But you It says in verse 8, but you can lose your full reward by being stuck for a period of time on something that's not the truth because you let a deceiver, a seducer, seduce you and give you things that are not true. This is very important, and it's very dangerous. But the other thing that seducers do is in verse 9. Whosoever transgresseth, transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Those that are really new creatures can stumble. They can stumble and fall and lose a period of their walk with God to things that are not true. But they cannot be lost. But those that are not of God, they will hear the voice of the deceiver and they will follow them. And they'll either stop coming to church or they'll start going to a quote unquote church that doesn't preach the gospel. They'll start going to a place of assembly where people do weird and odd and strange things in the name of Jesus, where love is not the point, where the Word of God is not the emphasis, where Christ is not exalted, but people are exalted. The people that are coming are exalted. And knowledge is exalted instead of Christ being exalted. And love is not the goal, and love is not the answer, but something else. And we've all been around those people, but God does not want us to be those people. He wants to rescue us from that. But you see here two different groups Group, one who lose reward because of false teachers and others who are lost because of false teaching. But, verse 10, which is what we're picking up this morning, verse 10 brings out a completely different group. And these are the deceivers themselves. The deceivers themselves, they were not content with just hearing Things that made them happy, not content just hearing things that tickled their ears and made them puffed up and made them proud. No, they've become champions of those things. And now they become preachers and teachers of it. They are the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons that have these things that are not the gospel of Jesus Christ, and many others like them who would bring things into your life that would cause you to be confused. They are things that are not biblical. They are things that are focused on just a couple of passages in your Bible and make it as if those are the point instead of the whole Bible. From cover to cover, which is Christ from cover to cover. That's what God wants for all of us. Notice what it says in verse 10. If there be any that come unto you and bring not this doctrine. What's the what doctrine? The doctrine of Christ, as from verse 9. You can go back up and look at it. You can underline it. The doctrine of Christ. If anybody comes to you and is not Christ-centered in their doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. Now I want to say just a couple things. One, I want to focus to the any. If there come any unto you, false teachers are not your friends. These who teach these things that are not biblically true about Jesus Christ are not to be welcome. You may have people who you you might even be related to someone who is a preacher, a false, a, a deceiving, a deceitful, a seductive preacher. They're not to be in your house. They're not welcomed. You say that's harsh. It's not harsh. What they're doing is deadly dangerous, not just to them, but to me. It's one thing to be deceived. It's another thing to be a deceiver. You know, many years ago, I realized that those that went around in my neighborhood, basically, typically the Jehovah's Witnesses, that I would not meet them at my house. I would meet them in my yard. And now, as far as I know, they don't even go down my street anymore and i would meet them and refute them not to be arrogant not to be proud not to prove that i was superior i would say to them you need to turn away from this doctrine now remember they typically travel in a group a couple of people at least one of them is fully fully committed to this the other is just learning and the one that is just learning i would like the one that's being deceived it is my desire to turn them away from this deception and cause them to say no no just trust christ fully jesus is all god He's all God. He is all man, and he's all God, and he can be your Savior, and that's enough. That's what we want for them. Do you understand? And God says, don't let them in. Don't even bid them Godspeed. Don't even say, hi, how are you doing? And here's, the, here's the difficulty, I and mean, we'll see this. If they don't bring this doctrine, they're not allowed in. And they're not only not allowed in, it says in verse 11. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. You say, how is that true? How is it true that if I just am polite and let them come in and give them a cup of coffee and then tell them that I disagree with them and send them on their way? So here's what happened. They come into, their, into your house and then somebody, they go down to the next house and they say, oh, I was just talking to John James, your neighbor. Now, now they have your approval. They use your name. They don't say, they don't say oh, and he doesn't agree with me. Why, why don't they say that? Because they're deceivers. They're seductive. So it has to be clear to everyone, I don't agree with them. You don't have to throw rocks at them. You don't have to be vicious. You just don't salute them. You just don't bid them Godspeed. You just don't say, may God be with you. I disagree with you. God can't be with them. What they're doing is wrong. And God wants us to understand that. Please be careful what you allow into your house, both in actual people and more importantly today, what sources you let come into your house to to be in front of your family and your children. Now, I want to point out one thing before we're done. This is not to be understood as those who are deceived. There's a difference here between, notice notice, notice this in uh, verse 10. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, so if false teachers enter into your house, not people who you know and love that are deceived and confused. Let me read what I wrote. This is not to be misunderstood to mean that those who are deceived. You may have family members that are confused or deceived. You may have neighbors, neighbors that are victims of false teachers or coworkers that have been led astray. This passage is not referring to them. In fact, we are, to, we are to try to rescue these people. Do you understand? There's a difference between helping those who are caught up in false teaching and, and, and accepting those that are giving the false teaching. There's a big difference between those things. If someone is going to stay in false teaching, then they're going to stay in false teaching. But only when they become a teacher of it does does God say, have have nothing to do with them anymore. If they bring not the doctrine of Christ, if your friend that you've been trying to rescue starts coming into your house and saying, no, I don't want to listen to you anymore. You listen to me now. Say, no, no, you got to go now. It's not the same thing anymore. I want to rescue you And let you know that Jesus is who he says he is. This is not being mean spirited. This is not again, the whole point of this is to love everyone. And yet somehow, the false teacher, not only are we not to embrace them, we are to not even say, May you have a good day. No, no, please go away. But quit doing what you're doing. Because what you're doing is deadly dangerous, and there is condemnation for what you're doing. God is not okay with you deceiving people about how great Jesus is. You are making Jesus less than the Bible makes of him. He is greater than you're preaching him, and you can't do that. That's what God wants us to understand. So let's close with this. In extending hospitality, which, by the way, 3 John is going to talk about extending hospitality in detail. By the way, extending hospitality to a godly preacher or teacher. Now notice it says in verse 11, if you bid him Godspeed, you are a partaker of, of his evil deeds. You might want to underline that. Partaker of his evil deeds. Do you want to be a partaker of a false teacher? Do you want to be a partaker of their evil deeds? And the answer is, no, I don't want to do that. No. And and God says, no, you don't want to do that. But here's what God does tell you. And here, look at it with me. Turn to Matthew chapter 10. This is where we're going to close for today. Matthew chapter 10, verse 41. Turn there and we'll be done. Matthew chapter 10, verse 41. It says, He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. This is a tremendous truth. In the same way that you're not supposed to have false teachers into your house, you should have godly teachers into your house. It's one of the reasons why we say when the missionaries are here, take them to lunch or have them to your house. And this is a wonderful truth. Look what it says. If you receive a prophet, if you receive a godly person you get their reward. That's amazing. You do not want to be a partaker of a false teacher's evil deeds. No, I do not. But I do want to be a partaker of those that preach the real gospel. I do want to extend hospitality to them. I do want to pour love out upon them. I do want their reward. What a wonderful thing. I take them to lunch. I get their reward. Yes. And, and you say, how can God give me their reward when they've earned the reward by saying yes to God? So have you said yes to God. And God has more than enough reward to give out. God is content for every one of us. This is where faith promise comes in. I'm almost done, but I want to hit this again. Please give your tithes and faith promise. If you've been with us this time, if you're still paying attention to this sermon and you're still here, if you have a job, be thankful for that job. Give your tithes. The church needs it. Give faith promise. The missionaries need it. If you want to give a little extra now to faith promise, Give that because we need to be able to send the checks out to the missionaries. They need those funds. The churches are being impacted by people being impacted by their employment and the missionaries are going to suffer. We want to help them. By you giving... And, and meeting their need, you get to share in their reward. And that's not just a nice saying, that's the truth. By us being partaker of what they're doing, by praying for them and extending um, um, uh, fellowship to them, and by extending hospitality to them, and by giving to them, we are able to start share in what God is doing in their life. It is wonderful what God is showing us here in 2 John. He says, I promise you'll be able to discern between deceivers and the truth. Just walk with the Lord Jesus. Just assemble with godly people, and you'll know, and God will make the change in your life. Thank you for joining us. Father, thank you for giving us this opportunity to be together this morning. Lord, meet the needs of our hearts. Bless us, Lord, as we continue to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.